0: So, the big question is why do so many people get sicker and experience more pain as they get older, while others are able to age better, enjoy life, and live healthier? With so much misinformation, it's confusing to know what you should and should not do when it comes to taking care of your body. My name is Dr. Brad Wolf, and my mission is to transform world health. In this podcast, I want to share the best strategies on the planet for living max health, feeling amazing, and aging pain free. Welcome to the conversation. So we're live here. This is Living Max Health. I'm Dr. Brad Wolf. Uh, we're here to teach you, tell you, talk to the truth, bringing in guests from all over the world to help to discuss the conversation of healthy living and aging better, aging healthier in your life. And so uh, I decided to take this conversation in a direction. I've known uh, our guest here for the last 25 years. I was thinking back just a moment ago, 25 years it's been and uh, he has delved deeply into conversation around scoliosis. It's a condition that many people suffer from, and he's got some answers for you that does not involve drugs and surgery. And so I'm wanting to bring him on the podcast to be able to discuss those options, what he's found in his own practice, and uh, what we can learn about this to make your lives even better moving forward. So welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Al. Dr. Very
1: good. Oh, thank you very much a fantastic introduction there 25 years it's
0: uh, it's a testament
1: to our age unfortunately
0: <laughs> well you know what listen I've seen you go through a lot of changes in your own life and your own practice and the way that you've looked at the human body and and somehow you've landed on scoliosis as kind of your your life's work so uh, I uh, I'm curious to know more and um, so maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into what it is that you're currently doing now, and then we'll get into some nitty-gritty here.
1: Sure. You know, practice is, is an evolution. And uh, we've evolved in the way we manage scoliosis in the past 15 years. And that evolution really started uh, really back when I was in chiropractic school and learning about scoliosis and learning about uh, the conditions of the spine. I remember being a student and being uh, excited to learn about scoliosis uh, as a chiropractic student, figuring this is one of the most important conditions that we would treat. Uh, Unfortunately, I found out that that really wasn't the case and that chiropractors really shied away from managing scoliosis. Uh, And of course, the public was looking towards chiropractors for help as just a natural uh, um, direction for direction them.
0: With the spinal care and whatever it is, what other type of treatment they're receiving. Say that one more time. Saying that, you know, that people were already seeking out some sort of spinal care or way they were having back pain and they didn't know why. And maybe they got an x-ray and there was scoliosis there that they may not have known they were seeking out care from a chiropractor, um, but they may not have even known that they had scoliosis in the first place. that
1: certainly happens. Every chiropractor is going to have some uh, percentage of their patients that unknowingly have scoliosis and end up in their their practice. But even patients that know they have scoliosis that have been diagnosed, uh, I think that to them it makes sense to go to the chiropractic profession for a non-surgical approach. Uh, So that was uh, 25 years ago. And uh, I went into general practice, and uh, I didn't really pursue scoliosis as the focus of my practice at that time. And uh, I practiced for about 10 years uh, as a general chiropractor until I decided I wanted to learn more about neurology. And I became a diplomate in neurology. Within the chiropractic profession, we have subspecialties just like uh, all the other healthcare uh, uh, professions. Uh, and you can have a subspecialty in neurology and scoliosis, so in uh, chiropractic. So I pursued that. Uh, and in my pursuit of becoming a chiropractic neurologist, I met uh, Dr. Gary Deutschman, who's my partner in business today, and he was tr- treating scoliosis. But he was treating it in a very archaic way. Uh, trying to stretch spine straight, trying to use electric stim to pull the, the the muscles that would seemingly straighten the spine, bracing with using rigid braces in adults, and uh, I I thought that was not the best way to manage it, and uh, we decided to try to start co-managing patients together because of my expertise in neurology at the time, and basically we looked at scoliosis as a movement disorder, and we decided that we should use all the tenets of rehabilitation uh, when we rehabilitate the nervous system and try to apply that to scoliosis. And the outcomes were very good. And so that's how I began my journey in the evolution of what we do today uh, in scoliosis. Uh, And then, you know, things evolved from there.
0: So so maybe you can speak a little bit to the difference between, because the traditional medical approach to scoliosis is also they have their own plan their own way of kind of going about things and what the difference is between what they're doing or the way that you see it. So somebody who is maybe already been diagnosed with scoliosis and they're trying to come up with answers here, they don't know which way to go. Can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. And that's the majority of people that I speak to have that, uh, that dilemma. Uh, The most important thing to realize when you're dealing with scoliosis is The majority of what the professionals are trying to do is treat the outward signs of the condition. They're trying to treat the curvature of the spine and uh, that runs into some roadblocks because not every scoliosis is the same. You can have a scoliosis that measures 42 degrees on x-ray and it be completely rigid, completely stiff and be a consequence of a bony deformity and you can have a 42 degree uh, curvature on, on x-ray. That's completely flexible. There's no bony deformity, and it's related to ligamentous imbalances or muscle imbalances, and the treatment should be completely different. The orthopedist, which is the really the, the main uh, manager of scoliosis, treats those exactly the same. And so this is why there's uh, uh, too much surgery going on, There's too much watching and waiting and no no recommendation for intervention from the the orthopedic side. Uh, And so really we have to identify what type of scoliosis we're dealing with to give the best recommendations for treatment. And that's what we do on on the alternative side. And I'm not saying that everyone who manages scoliosis alternatively does that. Many chiropractors manage scoliosis by trying to traction and stretch the spine straight. And that may be appropriate for a certain percentage of cases, but certainly not for every case. Mm -hmm. So the key to really having uh, success in different types of cases is understanding there are different types of scoliosis. They have to be managed differently. Uh, And that's when I say we've evolved over the years of 15 years of only practicing and only managing scoliosis, We've learned that. We've learned that firsthand clinically. You can't do the same thing to every case and expect to get 100% results. Some curvatures need to be stabilized. Other curvatures need to be mobilized. And so this is the real key and the art of managing these types of cases. Uh, And I think that's where we run into trouble with not only the orthopedic uh, management, but also in the alternative side, chiropractors tend to try to treat scoliosis only one way, and that type of patient may respond, and of course, we usually see those cases on the internet. People will post the, those changes and, and create uh, the illusion that they can be successful all the time, but there's much more to, uh, to scoliosis than just treating the physical deformity that you see.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember we were i think when it was when we got together when you were in town last time, you were talking about the genetic and metabolic component to scoliosis, so we're finding even in our own practice doing uh, functional medicine and doing you know blood chemistry evaluations and seeing the effect on um, again ligamentous structures or muscles or whatnot, and how maybe some sort of deficiency metabolically or something genetically, the tendency for a person to have a curvature in their spine gets aggravated or gets activated. So um, yeah. t- tell us about that.
1: Well, from a metabolic standpoint, a bone is a living tissue. And uh, the, the curvature that, that emerges when a scoliosis is, is first uh, diagnosed is a consequence of metabolic activities, and there are there are proteins in the blood called cytokines. These cytokines are responsible for bony deformity. They're also re- responsible for arthritic change in the spine, um, and so managing the pro-inflammatory cytokines is another approach to managing scoliosis beyond just treating the curvature itself. So we know that uh, these inflammatory Markers can be blunted or can be controlled with dietary changes, with supplementation, and so managing the the uh, the inflammatory response with response which leads to bony deformity is a way to stop the curvature from even beginning. Uh, in the adult, it's a way to stop the. Uh, arthritic change that is a consequence of having that curvature. Mm-hmm. So, looking at the metabolic health is very important. Looking do, at do
0: you do, you do that in your in your practice? Do you do, you, um, do blood do. chemistry evaluations on on the people that you see?
1: Yes, we co-manage uh, the majority of our patients with a functional medicine doctor uh, who uh, orders a blood panel. We have an adult panel and, a, and an adolescent panel. And we're looking for hormonal imbalances. We're looking for uh, imbalances in, uh, in uh, uh, different uh, metabolic uh, markers like calcium, um, calcitonin. Um, and we also will get a, an arthritic panel looking for inflammatory markers. And then we make recommendations for diet and supplement, uh, supplementation based off of that, and we also do bone density scanning on all of our patients, even the adolescent patients, which is something that's really, I think, unique to our practice. We'll do you, have- do you,
0: do you have you have DEXA scan in your office?
1: We do, yeah, I, I bought a DEXA scan last year because we realized that it's, number one, it's difficult to get a radiology center to do a DEXA scan on a nine-year-old. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, they don't have a full understanding of why we want to do that, uh, but the, the, the literature shows us 30% of every scoliosis patient has low bone density for their age, and so that's not something that we're just going to leave alone and hope doesn't affect the condition of, of the patient. We know it's going to be a, a, an aggravating factor for progression, also very uh, Very well documented in the literature. So if we know it's a known risk factor for progression, we can't just leave it and say that, oh, well, you're only 12 or 15 or something like that. So we shouldn't worry about it. So we ended up just buying our own DEXA scan and we do it right in our office.
0: What um, what what is the the. What, what really got you leading to believe that you needed to do DEXA scans on kids? Because that's actually the first time I'm really ever hearing this. So I'm just curious when you say that it's in the literature. So people want to know, you know, and typically people come in, they'll bring their you know child into the office for some treatment. You know, we've certainly taken x-rays on kids. Um, a lot of times I end up not getting to them until, they're la- until it's later, until they're after their teenage years, early 20s. And by that point, the scoliosis has already kind of started to set in if that's the case for them. Mm-hmm. So, so, but just in terms of doing DEXA scan on kids, um, what can, where can people learn more about that? I'm assuming if they just go to the internet and they, they Google that about DEXA in kids, are they going to get some good information? Is it mixed? Dr. Wolf, everything we do is evidence-based. So
1: where do I get the, the impetus to, to uh, do a DEXA scan on a child? It's in the literature that there's a, there's a strong propensity towards low bone density in adolescents who have scoliosis. So when I see that, it, it, it affects me from a clinical standpoint. I have to now identify if that's happening in these cases. Uh, so all they would have to do is go to PubMed.com. Uh, Type in low bone density for age, scoliosis, DEXA scan, scoliosis, or DEXA scan adolescence, and it's a very low dose x-ray. It's so low, uh, the dosage of x-ray is so low that I don't even have to leave the room or wear shielding or be behind a lead shield when I do the scan. Uh, It gives us an image of the spine in a supine position which is also useful because we get to see the flexibility of the curvatures that way. Uh, And we're finding that we are, the majority of our patients do have low bone density for their age. And, and then we're intervening. We're not just leaving that alone. We're, we're making changes for those patients with supplements and dietary changes. Uh, And we're seeing changes on their follow-up DEXAs. We do a follow-up DEXA scan six months after we've uh, intervened with the metabolic changes, and we're seeing an improvement in their bone density. Fabulous. Which, yeah, it's really, a, it's a clinical, in my opinion, a clinical breakthrough, and it should be done on all scoliosis cases.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, I appreciate the insight on that. Um, so what other, what other type of technology? I know you have some imaging technology that you had brought to my office that you are using to scan people. I think that, you know, the, the vast majority of people, and certainly for myself, you know, you know, I send people out for x-rays or MRIs of, you know, nerve conduction studies or other um, diagnostic testing, and there's so much information that we can get from doing a blood test or doing a DEXA scan. What other technologies are you doing that um, you're seeing are, have been really effective in helping you manage these cases?
1: Well, the, one of the issues we have with, with scoliosis management is we take serial x-rays, so we're taking X-rays every six months or every three months in some cases, and uh, ionizing radiation has uh, has some uh, side effects that that we want to try to avoid. Uh, we ended up uh, finding some equipment from Germany called uh, raster stereography, which is a three-dimensional biotopography. We biotopography where we can map the entire body and make a three-dimensional representation of the patient on a uh, computer-generated image, and we're able to to track changes in their posture using this 3D imaging, uh, and it's it's, uh, radiation-free. So we're able to reduce x-ray exposure by about 50% using this type of technology. It creates basically an avatar of the patient, so we're able to see their entire body contours, Uh, And it quantifies everything, so uh, it measures the rib hump, it measures the shoulder blade imbalance, it measures the center of gravity imbalance. And then as we intervene with the patient, we see that's either improving or worsening, and that gives us the impetus to decide if we need more x-ray or not. And it also helps us make clinical changes uh, if we're not creating the derotation that we want over time, or we're not creating the shift in their center of gravity, we can intervene in a better way. So in many ways, this technology gives more information than an x-ray would. Mm-hmm. It doesn't show us the Cobb angle, although it guesstimates it, and sometimes in certain types of patients, it's very, very accurate. But it tells us about the posture itself, which is a, a consequence of the curvature.
0: Sure. So, you know, for, for the layperson out there who's not understanding some of this uh, jargon that we're using here, you know, it has to do with when you're looking at x-rays and looking at the angle of the curve. And so it's a way that we actually measure that angle of the curve. And we're just talking about how do we get some tangible metrics on the body so that you can actually um, do something about the problem you have. So if you can measure the curve, you can measure the bone density, you understand that. You need that it's not just that the person has a curvature in their spine, but there's some other biochemical or, or metabolic, something in your blood chemistry uh, or your body chemistry that's actually causing that curvature to happen. And it's like with anything that you really want to go earlier is better. You know, getting to cases where scoliosis is starting to progress. I had a case in a in a daughter who was uh, her mom had significant scoliosis and she was five years old and I started feeling her spine and just with my hands alone was starting to feel that there was a change there. So I think that the sooner we can get to kids and the sooner we can help parents understand what to look for in their kids. um, I think that we're going to have an impact here beyond, yeah, they're already 29 and they've got a curvature or their parent knew to to bring them in. I don't think there's enough general knowledge that people have to be able to know what to do.
1: Not only that Dr. Wolf the orthopedic community when they diagnose scoliosis they recommend no intervention they recommend you just watch and wait and wait till it gets worse or see if it gets worse and then they'll recommend treatment after it's already worsened what other health condition do you know of where we diagnose a health condition and we say well you have a little bit of diabetes your a1c is is up you know close to the diabetic level but don't change anything in your lifestyle and just come back in six months and we'll see if we have to put you on metformin. This is ludicrous. So, yeah. you know, this
0: is it's not the the individual's fault that they're leaving it to get worse. No, not at all. But from from the standpoint of this conversation, that you know what I'm really trying to do is bridge the gap between the general public and the knowledge base around the human body, because the fact is, you and I know that. And we can have this conversation, but somebody who's not asking the question in the first place, if they have scoliosis, I have people come in, they don't get diagnosed with scoliosis until they're 40 years old. Or right. They've never, they've, never, they've never had an x-ray, they've never explored what you know what's going on with their body. And and that's I think a mistake.
1: I agree with you, and I think that's one of the scenarios that we both see in our practices. But a bigger problem for me is that Sometimes parents do see that there's an issue. Very often they do. They bring it to the pediatrician. The pediatrician refers to the orthopedist, and the orthopedist just waits until it's a surgical case and says there's not enough evidence to do anything. Well, if you look through the literature, you'll see there's lots of evidence uh, that we should intervene early. And just from a a standpoint of, of rationality, if you know you have a health condition you 've got to make some environmental or, or some sort of change in your lifestyle to try to support a healthy uh, you know evolution of that condition. So I think that that's probably a bigger issue is, is that we're finding scoliosis and then we're doing nothing in the orthopedic community
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you know that's what I would like to see change and, and I know the parents that have come to me who've been through that, it's a very frustrating experience for them. Uh, You know, and it it harms the child's health in the long run. So early intervention is a key to reducing the effects of scoliosis. Uh, And so I agree with you, if people uh, were screened more often, or if doctors had a greater understanding of what could be done, we could manage uh, individual cases much
0: better so so at what age would you say that people should start considering taking their kids to be evaluated effectively i mean when i say effectively i'm saying to be a little bit more proactive about the body and not just waiting for some cursory school test where you know lean forward and let me see whether you have a curve well it's substandard
1: you know it's it's a tough question because i can tell you that in some types of scoliosis in the ones that let's say are genetically driven where the parents may have had it or a sibling or something of that nature there, uh, that scoliosis may be diagnosable at birth. And there are ways to identify imbalances in the vestibular morphology, the way the inner ear is built. And yeah, this talk, is talk, uh, talk human language here. Yeah, human language. <laughs> so, uh, So sometimes scoliosis is uh, predestined, even from birth. Sometimes it'll only show up at adolescence, even though it was predestined from birth. And so uh, we're not there yet where we can screen children or or infants to identify the, the the types of imbalances that we know will lead to scoliosis. So from a from a practical standpoint, the, the best time for you to look and see, number one, if you've got a family history of scoliosis, then you have to realize that your children are have a 30% increased risk of developing the condition. When they hit puberty, that's when 80% of the curvatures show up. So you'd want to look just prior to puberty, and keep a very close eye on if there starts to be an emerging imbalance in the shoulders or the waist angles or the hip the leveling of the hips. Uh, a rib hump is a very important uh, telltale sign that the curvature is developing. Um, and so, for the average person, that's when you're going to first diagnose it. For the future, there's going to be a way for us to identify. That very, very early on, uh, that the patient has the predisposition that this is going to happen to them at uh, at puberty., uh, we're not there yet. Uh, but uh, so
0: so in realizing that, let's say you found that information out. Do you feel like based upon the technology that you've been employing that that you could do something about what happens with that, or are you seeing that where you know there's a genetic or a metabolic influence there, and then, You're able to ward it off, and the person is normal or fairly normal in terms of the alignment of their spine. Yes, like most genetic conditions, the genetics
1: determine if you're going to get the condition, the environment and the lifestyle choices determine how bad that condition is going to to be. Mm -hmm. So, the genetics tell someone this you have the predisposition to get scoliosis, the genetics do not predetermine how bad that curvature will become. This is why we see some people have mild curvatures, let's say in a family line, and there are some people, and even in identical twins, one identical twin may have a mild curvature, the other identical twin may have a severe curvature. They have the same exact genetics. So it's not the genetics that determines how bad the curvature will become. It's the environment. So if we can change the environment and we can identify what triggers in that person's individual environment are going to drive that curve to get worse, then absolutely we can change the natural history of, of, of that person's
0: condition. So maybe, um, that, they, I think this is an amazing conversation. I think that, you know, again, I think that a lot of people are not aware of what their options are. You know, there's a, there's kind of an automatic, I'm going to go ask my family doctor and listen, your family doctor may know a lot of things, but they they may not know about scoliosis. And, you know, speaking with, uh, with you, uh, doc, you, um, you know, I look at what you're doing and I'm saying we need, we need more of that. And, you know, when you were talking about, I'm just curious, you were talking about the stereography that you got from Germany. Do you find that in other areas of the world that they're employing this technology more than they are in the United States? What have you noticed that sometimes you know, the, the quality of care, people think that it's gonna be the best here in the United States, but oftentimes I found it's not.
1: Right, well just, in, just with that technology alone, uh, when we first purchased that technology, we were the second uh, person in the United States to own it. We now own five units. And we're still the second person to own in the United States. In Germany, they've sold over 6,000 of those units. Uh, so they're employing it almost in every orthopedic uh, uh, office that deals with non-surgical care. And that's an, another distinction in Germany. And, and I was able to tour all around Germany and visit orthopedic clinics. Uh, I was trained in something called the Schroth method, which is an exercise method that when I first got trained in that 12 years ago, uh, I was the only chiropractor in the United States to, to be trained in it. And I was one of the first groups to be trained in English. So there's no question that the Europeans are managing scoliosis with, with much less surgery. Uh, and, uh, and they also have a an orthopedic provider that's a non-surgical orthopedic provider which we don't have in this country kind of what we have filled in as chiropractors we would kind of be the uh, uh, you know the the similar type of provider that they have in Germany that doesn't provide surgery but is managing orthopedic cases so in the United States we're quick to use medicine we're quick to recommend surgery uh, not so much the case in, uh, in the European countries. And, uh, and I think they do a much better job of avoiding surgery in those countries. And if you look at the, the statistics, they do much less surgery than we do. So in my opinion, we're, we're employing surgery way too often, way too early. Um, and unfortunately when you get a surgery, when you're 12 years old, by the time you're 36 or 38 years old, there's complications associated with that. And the surgeons won't tell you about that, you know, when they're giving you the surgery or or telling the parents about that when the kid's 12 years old, but surgeries don't last forever. And so, uh, there was a study and there's been two studies done here in the United States, longitudinal studies where they followed surgical cases uh, for 30 years. And they found that the quality of life scores in those that did not get surgery, so they had a control group that had scoliosis but did not get surgery, they had normal or near normal quality of life scores. The people who had the surgery had lower than normal quality of life scores. So you're trading, in my opinion, you're trading one problem for another. You're giving yourself time between those problems. But there's going to be another issue in that person's life if they choose surgery. 30 years down the road. And that might be a good trade-off. That might be something that if you're knowledgeable about that and, you're, and you have informed consent, you may choose that. But people don't really know that, and at least from what I'm seeing. They think we get the surgery, everything's fixed, and, and,
0: and we don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's simply just not the case. Wow. Okay, then. Well, you know, listen, if you're, if you're a parent and you have a child that has scoliosis, if you have scoliosis, and I recommend for, for all of my patients who have significant enough scoliosis, it's not being managed correctly, or they're, it's continuing to progress to get some more advanced help. And so if somebody wanted to contact your organization and reach you to be able to get um, some answers, um, some questions answered, I know that you travel around the country and you do evaluations in different cities. And so, um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, my website is probably the best scoliosissystems.com, all the S's in there. We have 18 locations. There are five of us that uh, do consultations and provide care uh, all over the country. Um, and that's probably the best way. You could also call, we have an 800 number. It's 800-281-5010, and you can always uh, call, and we do consultations, uh, no charge for patients. You can send us your x-rays, and we're happy to discuss and guide you through this process uh, and give you some uh, some good re- recommendations.
0: Fabulous. Well, you know what? I think that it's going to really require a higher level of thinking here to get past some of the hurdles that we have in the healthcare community. and. As individuals, ultimately, the person who's going to suffer the most is the person on the street, the person, the individual is not the doctor. They don't have any therapeutic background at all. And to be able to take care of yourself is not, it's, it, it, it requires some work. And if you have scoliosis, you just don't want to ignore it because these problems can get worse. And there is, there is help that does not involve drugs and surgery. And so part of what we're doing here on Living Max Health is making people aware of the things that they may not know otherwise. And so as we can do that and we can bring better people to the conversation, I'm really wanting to open up the conversation to a larger audience to be able to, let's talk about this stuff. And I believe myself that we know too much in society today to not fix our own problems, our own healthcare problems. And if we would really just look at it and not play politics and, and, you know, to me, People are being misinformed, and we want to be able to give really clear information so that when you're making a decision about yourself or about your child or about somebody that you love, that you have the resources there. So this is Living Max Health. Thank you, Dr. Lamontia, for your time. My and uh, we're here uh, transforming the health of the world. So the big question is, why do so many people get sicker and experience more pain as they get older while others are able to age better, enjoy life, and live healthier? With so much misinformation, it's confusing to know what you should and should not do when it comes to taking care of your body. My name is Dr. Brad Wolf, and my mission is to transform world health. In this podcast, I want to share the best strategies on the planet for living max health, feeling amazing, and aging pain-free. Welcome to the conversation.